0: First 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father... I ask you to teach us, to show us where we are, and yet to show us what you require. Father, we've already looked at your promises in the first three chapters. So, Lord, may we bow our knee in humility and say amen and amen to your instructions. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear your word. Help us to understand your ways. Help us to understand your blessings and rejoice at the amazing things you've already done. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. I was doing some research when I moved into this area because I, I've been around long enough that I've seen a lot of great change in the family uh, and just my lifetime. I read some numbers out of a Christian polling company, and it says that in the United States, 70% claim Christians. Okay, now you got to understand they're talking Catholics and Mormons and JWs as long as loyal as Protestants. So of the United States, 70% claim to be Christian. Okay. Of that 70%, 7% said that they live their faith. That might be optimistic. (laughs) I don't don't know. Okay. In Russia, 65% of Russia is Orthodox. All right. But of that 65%, if you ask a Russian if there are... A Christian, they will say, I am orthodox. Okay? Of that 65%, 1% believes that you are saved by grace through faith. Okay? This four verses that we are looking at deals with the family. Okay? And I'll show you that word where it says, fathers, do not provoke your children That's not really that good a translation. It should be parents. Do not provoke your children. The way it's constructed in the original language. I'll get into that later. All right. But I look at our society today, and it is very urgent. I was telling you that from my life, from my perspective of what I've lived, I've seen the dramatic change. It started, uh, actually it started in essence during World War II. The men were sent off to war, and the women needed to go to work. Not necessarily to make the income, but we had to have manufacturing, and the women went into the manufacturing sector. And you can see that. And then when the war was over, you see it try to draw back to where it was without much luck. And it really kind of got off rail, especially after the Korean conflict. It was almost... Uh, that was when you began to hear... It takes two incomes to live. Okay. So that's late fifties. Cruise into the sixties. That was the birth of the uh, sexual revolution. And you just see it starting to happen. That, listen, in my lifetime, I have watched divorce was non-existent to divorce is the norm. Okay, and that was just uh, my parents and all of those. I mean, you see two people that were together were absolutely miserable, but they would not divorce. They might cheat on each other, but they're not going to divorce. Okay, whereas now, uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. I, I, I think... I mean, when I see churches doing divorce recovery workshops, really? Then, you know, when I talked to my brothers in Russia and I said, well, what's the divorce rate in a church? And there is none. For one, they don't let you marry outside of the faith. Most of the weddings and marriages are between uh, a man and a woman who have known each other in church for X number of years, and they become man and wife. If there's conflict in the marriage and just one comes to church or both don't come to church, the leadership of the church will go and stay at the house until it's resolved. Okay, And they look at it from the perspective that this needs to be protected. I look around in our society and I look at what we're doing. I've seen Switzerland voted yesterday to grant same-sex marriages, I look around at our country, and I remember when our country voted that. Actually, I don't remember our country voting that. I'm not sure how that happened. But I do remember that the president, Mr. Obama, lit the uh, White House up in rainbow colors. Okay? This is what's going on in the family in the United States of America today. You look around, and it doesn't take a lot to see the importance of this text. We've been dealing with the husband and the wife and what their priorities should be. And yet I see verse five verse twenty one, we need to be subject to one another of fear of Christ. And um I've had that conversation in the last few weeks that uh, it feels like the time of Pharaoh. Uh, the people are more afraid of the plague than they are the god of the plague. And uh, I look at what our families are. and I And I showed you this because... and I'm going to deal with this and labor this for a while. Because the family is under an attack like never, ever before. And yet, it's very incremental. Just a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. And it's, it is chipping away at it. And it is a prime target of our adversary because I showed you last week this mystery is Christ and His church. So if I attack the family, then I have attacked Christ and His church. So, for a uh, solid family, there are two prerequisites. One is the first three chapters of Ephesians. You must be in Christ. You need to be saved. All right, you're not going to do it if you're not. And the second thing was chapter 5, verse 18, that you need to be filled with the Spirit. I am led by the Spirit of the living God. Not by me, not by my emotions, not by my brilliant ideas, but what is God doing? When we are in Christ and filled with the Spirit, then we will know what it is to have a family. To have a family that is built on a divine reality. I look at what God's standard is compared to where we are today, and uh, wow. But in just my 60-some-odd years, that has changed, and it has come this thing that it is that you see today. We are talking about marriage, but remember the Apostle Paul said that marriage was given to you and I so that we may see the relationship between Jesus Christ and His church. Husbands and wives and are God's priorities and plans. Now we're going to see God's priorities and God's plan for the family. When the husband and wife have kids, how does that dynamic work? Parents. And children. That relationship. Did did you ever think about this? The relationship from mom and dad to junior is a picture of the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Wow. Has things changed? Have you been in Walmart lately. Mercy them little monsters screaming and running. But look at how far we have fallen. And of course, we don't want it to bring Christ into it. Heaven forbid. If we bring Christ into it, we're going to get a bunch of religiosity. Well, I seen it when Christ was involved in it. Now I see it when Christ is not involved in it. Okay, I remember sitting and watching Leave It to Beaver. I remember watching Father Knows Best. And you know what? That was like your neighborhood. That has changed. The relationship between the parents and the children is equally as important as the relationship between the husband and the wife. And... I find it fascinating because I look at this as a primary target of our adversary. I want you to think about this for a second. I'll give you a heads up of what's coming. Think about this. He dealt with the relationship between the man and the woman. Now he deals with the relationship between the parents and the children. He will deal with employee-employers. Next, right? You know what he deals with after that? Spiritual warfare. You better put on the full armor of God because you're under attack, fool. And I, I, you just kind of look at it and you think, yeah. I'm going to give you all of this on walking worthy, walking in humility, being Spirit-filled. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Parents, not exasperating their children. And children, honoring their parents. But you are going to be in a battle that is Satan's target. This area between our relationships with one another, our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our kids is a target. And what I've seen in my lifetime is that the family has paid a tremendous price. I remember uh, when, uh, well, it still is. If a woman gets pregnant by a man, don't marry him because you'll get money from the government. Who's the father? Uncle Sam. And if you have a whole bunch of kids, you get a whole bunch of money. What'd you just do? Make a better family? I'm trying to figure out why a 14-year-old boy at 3 a.m. in the morning with two handguns is running from the cops in Chicago. Listen, I was a wild and crazy dude but I never thought it was a good idea to resist arrest. It just didn't seem like a a successful plan. And you've got that going on. Why? Who's the father? Who's the father figure in that home? The guy who's mailing them the checks. Whoever that is a poll said that 7% of uh, people in the United States live in what would be called a biblical, normal family. 7%. That number seems way high to me. Way high to me. Okay. And what I mean by, the, the we've already looked at this. I've already gotten some nasty emails on it. They'll just have to grow up. Okay, The father's the breadwinner. The wife is the homemaker. That's the way God designed it, period. Okay? Well, but the Proverbs 31 woman, go look at what she did. Her house was taken care of all the time before she was an entrepreneur. And we have moved a very long way from God's divine plan. Listen, how many single parents, how many single parents are in here? See what I mean? That's not the way God designed it. How many are divorced? See, God ain't the way God designed it. And how many have had a tragedy in their family area like this? I have stepchild. Okay. They're everywhere. Which means that it's not the norm. And you know what? As a, as a shepherd, as a brother in Christ, I have had so many dealings with broken families that I am I hate to say it, but I don't have any other way to... It's rather typical. Family is under attack by Satan. Actually, the family is getting its butt whooped by Satan. And all he's got is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. He's just got those three things. But by golly, he's good at it. And I've already shown you that it was a mystery. The mystery that I, you and I might call marriage, <laughs> I think I think that's a mystery sometimes, you just sort of would, <laughs> is given to you and I so that we know the relationship between Jesus Christ and His church. And you know, the simple question is, Jesus never separates from His church. I mean, all the people that have come into my office in over the years, decades now, and said, Well, we think we should separate. Why? Well, we, we need our space. No, you don't. You need to work on your space. When does Jesus say, I'm just going to separate from you for a while? So I want to take you back a ways. And I'm going to show you one of the major problems that uh, <laughs> we need to think about this. I mean, you know, I don't have any kids living at home anymore. Thank you. I don't know. It's cheaper when they lived at home, though, isn't it? It's like when they get out, it costs you twice as much. But anyway, you you think about your children at home, okay, And it's just something that kind of fell into my lap. So I want to take you back a few years, all right? Deuteronomy, (laughs) chapter 6. Okay, that's a few years. All right, now, this is Moses. And Deuteronomy literally means the second law. Okay, you've got the law that God had given and Exodus, and the Ten Commandments, and all that other stuff. But now he gives them what is known as the second law. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is how you will conduct yourself when you get into this promised land. We've been reading through Judges, and you note that there's all kinds of strange people there. You got Moabites, you got Edomites, you got Philistines, you got all these weird people running around. And notice the what was read this morning in Judges is that they all had gods. And you move into their country, you live in there next to them down the street, you know, old Harold down there, he's he's going down to the asteroid, and then after that he'll have a couple of beers and go over to Baal. Well, let's just go with him. I mean, what the hey? And so the Jews were getting sucked in to these false gods. Okay? Here's what Moses tells Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is a commandment. The statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. Okay, I'm giving you a heads up before you get into the bad neighborhood. All right, this is what you're going to need to pay attention to. But look what he says. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of His statutes, His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. You know what prolonged means? Long. Do these, and you'll have a long life. But if you do these, you need to know that your son can have a long life. You need to know your grandsons can have a long life. You know, you can keep replicating this thing. and You all have long lives. But you need to do these things. Okay. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hot diggity doggy. Do you you understand that? I'm going to give you this land. But you're going to have some responsibility when you get there. All right? And they didn't do it. He told them, I want you to kill everybody. I want you to kill their chickens, their goats, their beef, their women, their children, and everything. Because if you don't, what happens? King Solomon, wisest man ever. King Solomon started off. Whoa. What a great race. He asked for one thing in humility. He knew he couldn't be king and he asked God for what? Wisdom. And he got it. What happened toward the end of his reign? He started marrying all of these. What? Non-Jewish women. And what did it say they did? Turned his heart from the true God. Okay? I mean, you can sit and say, well, that seems, look what it gets you. You know, they're fighting in the Middle East right now because they didn't do what God said. Okay? Gotta know this first. Hear, O Israel, verse 4. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Did you know Allah is the 360th God in Islam? He's the moon God. He's head over the other 359. People don't know that. Well, he got one God. No, they got one controlling God. Tells Israel what? There's one God. Remember, God called Israel out as a people. Why? A witness nation of Him. Listen, Israel is not an end to itself. Okay? Israel is not a means to an end. God choosing Israel was not to be the center of his blessings. Israel was a channel that God was going to reveal himself to humankind. And he did it. They surround Jericho. Remember that? And the two spies get have to hide in Rahab the harlot's house. Right? And what does she say? Yes, you are children of the true God. We've already heard about what you did to the Egyptians and everybody else that gets in your way. God uses Israel to pass His blessings to the world. Okay, what was His blessings? There is one God, and Yahweh is His name. That is the blessing to the world. Israel was to pass this on to the world, the truth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Okay? Do you understand what that is? That is eyeball-deep theology. Boom! God is one. And He is your God. So you've got the theology, then what's the response? Easy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Wow, that sounds familiar. Doesn't that sound familiar? How are you going to look at the letter to the Romans? you got 11 chapters of theology. In chapter 12, he says, Present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of spiritual worship. Oh wait, that's kind of like that Ephesians letter. You got three chapters of theology, therefore what? I humbly beseech you, walk worthy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Amen. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? Just read it. You have a theology? You have a response. Uh, I really wish it was more complicated, but it's not. You study who He is, and you respond to who He is, right? But I want you to notice something there. Verse 6, these words, which I am commanding you today, shall what? Be in your heart. If they are the channel to reveal who God is, Yahweh Jehovah. Okay. Then it has to come from where? The heart. The heart. I've heard people preach and teach that it wasn't from their heart. So you're not convinced if they're convinced. So if they're not convinced, then why would I be convinced? I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I also need you to commit to this, that it's in your heart. I remember reading some stuff before uh, Martin Luther's <laughs> conversion. He he had been a lawyer, and he realized the evil of that. No, he he'd moved. There ain't nobody here a lawyer, are they? Okay, that's cool. But anyway, he, he quit being a lawyer, and he decided he'd be a monk. Uh, he'd become a priest. And so he goes to to the, to the monastery to do the priest thing. And he would get up in the morning. You couldn't have breakfast until you had confession. Okay, now there ain't no light bulbs. right, so if you're doing anything at night, it's going to have to be under candlelight. But he would get up in the morning about 4 a.m., go to the confession and confess for two to three hours every morning while your breakfast is getting cold. This poor priest had to listen to him. And you know what the majority of his confession was? I have not loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, see why he tried to figure out, well, how do we get saved then? Because I can't do that. These need to be in your heart. Now, this is what I'm trying to get to. You see how this all stacks up? Look what happens in verse 7. You shall teach them. And it's an interesting word in the Hebrew. Diligently. You know how I could translate that in an American? Priority. This needs to be a priority. Why? I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because the Lord my God is one. And I will love Him with all I am. And I will have it in my heart. Then he says, with All diligence to your sons, and you shall talk of them, and you shall sit in your house when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Hmm. Interesting. You have this love for God. You have nothing before Him now. Because that would be idolatry. And once you have made that commitment, then what do you do? Verse 7. Teach with all diligence. Paul told young Timothy, show yourself a worker approved. That's a good plan, huh? If you're going to be with Christ, you want to hear, well done, true and faithful servant. That should be, yes, that's on my to-do list. Okay. How then should I be diligent? Show yourself approved. How? Rightly dividing truth. Okay. Do you understand that it takes work? I mean, I still have not been able to get under 40 hours of study for one message. Now, I've got enough time now that I've, I've kind of got a bucket that in some cases I can pick out of that bucket and take one little shot here, a little shot here. A lot of the Sunday school stuff I have taught before. Okay, But when I'm teaching this message here, I've had to labor to get to this point. And people don't understand. Well, all you do is get up there and talk. But you're speaking on behalf of God. Do you know who your audience is? Love you. It ain't you. I remember doing a sermon thing. I was in Memphis. And you had to preach in front of these guys. And uh, I'd been studying Thessalonians, so I had to. Gonna preach that because I've been looking at it and I loved it. And it was just how to excel more. And so I sat next to the owner of the ministries, secretary. And when they asked, we, there was about six of us, we were all gonna preach that week. And he says, Okay. And I said, I want to go first. And they're like, Wow. And I was like, Yep, I can get this over with. If you're gonna shoot me, shoot me first. Yeah. <laughs> And so I sit there talking to her, and uh, she says, are you nervous? And I said, nervous? <laughs> I said, my mouth's so dry if I had, my hands were on fire, I couldn't spit to put them out. And she said, why are you nervous? I said, you got Dr. Rendell, you got Dr. Olford, you got all of these people standing there writing notes, critiquing your sermon. And she says, ah. Every Sunday you preach in front of Jesus. Yeah, but he's sitting there writing notes down. So I survived it. I'm scarred, but I survived it. Why? Teach them diligently to your sons so that they and talk about them. You know what he's saying? When you sit around the house, talk about it when you sit in your house, when you're walking, when you're walking down the street, talk about it. Talk about it. When you lie down, talk about it. Talk about it. When you rise up, talk about it. Listen, I listen to people talk all the time and all I hear is opinion. Okay? If you're going to deal with the things of God, they don't need your opinion. What does He say? It's like uh when I stumbled onto the text in Isaiah, it says, He is the God of calamity. What? Yeah. If there's a volcano, guess what? God did it. If there's an earthquake, guess what? God did it. There's a hurricane. Guess what? God did it. That's talking about God. God is a priority. No matter what you're doing during the day. I've got a friend of mine, he's called John the Baptist. That's what I call him. His name's John Hartwell. I call him John the Baptist. He's an over the road truck driver. Okay? And he's a big, golly guy. Anyway, you do not have to take a lot of time to figure out where John stands. And he preaches going down the highway on the, the CB. And that's why they call him John the Baptist. And let me tell you something. He has got no idea what sugar coated is. And he ain't a tickling at anybody's ear. And he'll get on there and they'll say, well, that seems awful judgmental. He says, well, hell is judgmental. Which one you want? but he's like a great big man, so he can get by with that. <laughs> I don't do that. Uh-uh. That hit me. See, God has a plan and a priority for passing truth on about himself. We need to understand that, not opinion about God, truth about God. And it goes from the parent to the Child, Go look at the history of Israel through 1st, 2nd Samuel, through Judges, through the Kings and Chronicles. And watch, there's a pattern. There's always a pattern. And it says, the next generation did not know God. And they got uh, thrashed. I look around at our society today and they do not know God. And the parents have the parents don't know. They don't know. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know nothing. I did a twenty third Psalm because it was that thing that I got at my dad's funeral. And I carried a Bible around every once in a while as a kind of like a rabbit's foot. As a child matures from the parent's teaching, then he or she passes it on to their children, and it goes on and on and on. How many of us can say that the Word of God is my life? You can take anything and everything away from me, and I don't care. Not my Bible. Is that your life? Is that the air you breathe? The Word of God. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of this, said that we should have ourselves immersed in godly verbiage. I was like, yeah, we should. Constantly speaking the things of God. And it becomes a matter of life. If you continue to speak it, if you continue to talk about it, you continue to meditate upon His Word, because it is my joy, it is my rejoicing, it is my peace, it is my passion, then it is the air I breathe. Listen, what He's given here to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy is the family. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul's given us in Ephesians chapter 6. a visible commitment to God even when we're silent look what he says here you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall put it on the frontals of your forehead you shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates vandalism <laughs> it's everywhere Even when I'm not at home, it is written on my doorpost and on my gates. Interesting. The children are to see the law of God written all over your house. So even in your absence, they see the word of God. see the Word in every part of life. When I'm walking, when I'm lying down, when I'm rising up. When I'm there, when I'm not there. Every time we open our mouth, it should be God glorified. The law of God is to be passed on generation after generation. We drop that. We drop that. The transition came in the late 50s. And uh, now there is no such thing. Because if I keep giving the Word of God, then you see the godliness. You see the righteousness. And it goes from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. It's amazing because I watch over in, uh, in Russia. That is their focus, is the next generation. I remember one of my trips there, it's early in the morning. I think it's like a Wednesday or Thursday, maybe a Thursday. It's cold, snow piled up everywhere, just miserable. I, my body clock was, I didn't know where I was. So I get up and I look out my little apartment window and I look down and I can see the fellowship hall of the church. All the lights are on and things packed. And I'm sitting there going, All right, what's this? So I threw some clothes on and I cruise over to the church. I go in there and Misha, my interpreter's there, and I said, Misha, what's going on? He says, oh, nothing. And I was like, well, what are all these people doing here at about 4.30 in the morning? He says, well, the junior high kids are teaching the middle schoolers the book of Galatians. And then when they get done, the high schoolers will teach the junior high kids the book of Galatians. And I was like, but don't they go to school? Oh, no, they go to school later. They're doing this before they go to school. And you're like, you gotta be kidding me. Four o'clock in the morning, cold and snowy. And you got a teenager up? Let around discuss theological things. Listen, this is God's plan. I want you to understand that Satan's plan is the exact opposite. Look at where we are. Why is it we try to divide the family? Why? One of the blessings of this pandemic is parents all of a sudden realize what the schools were teaching their kids. Satan's plan is against God's ordained plan. Listen, Satan's plan, you can go back to when angels were mating with women, mortal women, Was trying to destroy the righteous seed. An angel cannot be redeemed once it falls. Okay, once it rejects God, cannot be. There is no redemption for a fallen angel. Okay? So, if I can breed with a human, I pollute that race with angelic seed, and now there's no redemption. That means there's no redeemer. And he continues on today. He is destroying the families. His plan is to disrupt the family. His plan is to separate the kids from the family. He wants to get the parents to argue. Why? Because that's the unity of what? When they argue. He wants to make the family chaotic. How's he doing? You look at divorce. You look at separation. You look at adultery. Whatever to fracture the family. He wants to tear it apart. Because if I tear it apart, then it can't do what God designed it to do. To show the supernatural unity that God has provided through Jesus Christ. Now listen you got to understand a couple of things here. God does not expect the world to do this. Okay? Israel was to teach it to generation after generation after generation, and it was supposed to be normal conversation, normal actions. Okay? Yeah, Israel dropped the ball. But Paul says, hey, Israel was given to you, church, as things not to do. Guess what? We still dropped the ball. He doesn't expect the lost to be able to understand this, let alone do it. And yet the Christian family has been victimized by these very things. I mean, in just this congregation, how many have been directly or indirectly affected by divorce? Everybody here, I guarantee, knows somebody who's been divorced. It didn't used to be that way. That is our society. That is our culture. That is the father of lies proceeding. He has a tremendous, unrelenting attack on the family. Fathers are attacked. I watch what we have... to the man you know I hear this a lot men have abandoned their role yep and women and the world have made it extremely easy men are not the head of the family when man is not the head of the family you know what the family is Chaotic. I was reading a 1978. Okay. Here's how far we've gotten today. 1978. I moved out here in 1979. All right. A psychiatrist thesis. All right. His thesis was called the castrated family. And I'll summarize it for you, but he basically said that fathers are the responsible structure in the family. He, the father, is the family standard. The character, the direction, and the strength of the family comes from the father. If he doesn't, you have castrated the family. That is a secular psychiatrist in 1978. Gosh, we're so smart today, ain't we? Fathers are being pushed out. They are being encouraged to fulfill their desires. We are to be macho. We are to be self-satisfied. And when we do that, we lose or we miss their focus of loving the family. Have you seen that? Some of the loving families, oh, where did I read that at? Will grow cold? I know people right now who have divorced and kind of sit off their child, but they're smart enough to say, you know, I'm living for myself. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. The husband, the father, is supposed to be providing for, caring for, giving strength and stability and leadership. And you know what, fathers? Even sometimes you should be teaching. You're at war. You're at war with a culture that serves Lucifer. You've got to remember that. Everywhere you turn, It is the land of the father of lies. And they always have a better idea. If you don't believe me, ask them. We need to take our children and bring them up in the things of God. Even write it on the wall. But remember, apart from Christ... It's impossible. Another reason not to have a mixed marriage. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come this morning to give thanks to you. Lord, you gave us perfection, you set it before us. And in our fallenness, we corrupted it. Father, in our fallenness, we continue to corrupt it. I pray for the saints of the Most High God, Lord. I pray. They were on humble knee. Say, God, let us change. Change the hearts of the fathers, change the hearts of the mothers, change the hearts of the children, that they may surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords and understand the blessings beyond their grasp. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk with one another, submitted to one another in the fear of Christ. Lord, Let's write it on the doorpost of our houses and on our gates. Father, let us be talking of You, studying You when we walk, when we talk, we sit, we lie down, we rise up. Be our life. In Christ's precious name, Amen.